Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As always, I'm Justin, and I am joined by Pod Racer Beth, Incensed Sam, <laughs> and I'm Caleb. Good to have everyone back. We had an unusually quick turnaround for this one, uh, partially just given schedule nonsense. Uh, but partially because these two chapters were were good to read, we got right through them. Yeah, I read <laughs> I read more than ten thousand words in a day for the first time since I was in college. God, that's so real. <laughs> but yeah, only two chapters. I bet we're gonna you know just breeze through them. It's probably gonna be a nice thirty minute episode. Don't look at the timer. Don't look at the timer. Just just listen. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we have we have two nine thousand word chapters. Uh, they're not the only ones in this book that are are that long, but they are back to back to finish off this part uh, because we have some uh, some important happenings from Kaladin and from Dalinar. So we're going to focus in on those two and and finish off part two and see where that leaves us before we transition off to some interludes and then to part three that has some different character focuses oh my gosh there's so much book in this book yeah dear lord <laughs> we're, we're at we're starting this episode we're at, at page 384 and we have another 600 there go. are 1001 pages in the main text of the book which I have always wondered if Brandon did on purpose, given the fact that both symmetry and the number 10 are important in this book. <laughs> that, that feels like it's got to be a happy accident, because that's really hard to hit. Yeah, yeah. No, it it has to be, like, as the author, you're not in charge of that. You give right. them a Word document. Uh-huh. So... But but I it's always struck. Maybe me. he got really close and then just went in and tinkered as much as yeah. like, because there are a lot of moments. There's a couple in this chapter where it's like, one short line enter, one short line enter, one short line enter for dramatic effect. So maybe he just added a few more of those to bump up <laughs> the page count a little bit. Uh, finishing the part, we are, we also are going to finish off some epigraphs. Uh, our second last one here, uh, our letter writer is concluding their their missive. It says, if anything I have said makes a glimmer of sense to you, I trust that you'll call them off. Or maybe you could astound me and ask them to do something productive for once. So not a <laughs> uh, not a high regard of the uh, the members of the seventeenth shard there. Rude. I was gonna say, hey, don't be mean to Galadon, and then I thought about, it. I was like, I love Galadon to death. In terms of the entire Cosmere, he hasn't done that much. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he mostly sits around and complains. If, you know, if, if we are attempting to connect the dots and, and say that the members of the 17th Shard are looking for Hoyd, who is writing this letter, uh, they're apparently not doing a great job right now because last we saw them, they were off in the Pure Lake and Hoyd was not. So we'll see. Galadon does not contribute unless... Raiden sprints away from him and <laughs> ropes him into the, the latest foot race. Uh, but Kaladin here uh, is is going to make some moves in this chapter, and we can start uh, with him heading back to the apothecary's shop. Uh, I love the, the opening moment of this, where 
Kaladin bursts in uh, and we were we remarked when we met this guy how we were all amused by him doing the whole like ancient wise sage act and then eventually getting rid of that once he realized who he was talking to this time around it takes about two seconds where he's <laughs> he's getting ready to get up and start kind of toddle around the shop and then sees it's cow and just goes oh it's you I think I said it last time, but I rescind it then to use it now. He should just straight up chuck his cane over his shoulder and be like, oh, hi. <laughs> Yeet. But uh, yeah, Cal has been hard at work last we saw, uh, trying to get the knobweed sap, uh, which not only could he use for himself, but uh, he was told the first time around that it was expensive and difficult to get, which means... Let's try to sell some so we can actually have some spheres to work with. So he uh, he puts down this this bottle and says, I'd like to sell this to you. What do you offer? And we have a uh, we have a bit of a negotiation where the apothecary is not yet uh, going to stop with the whole making up bullshit thing. <laughs> because he uh, he looks at this bottle says well it's it's no good the the wild reads you know it's it's not potent i'm gonna have to distill it all this other stuff give you like a mark or two maybe like I, i'd hate for all the work to go to waste so I'll, I'll i'll be nice to you which is uh is deeply frustrating for kaladin who has put a lot of work and a, a lot of kind of stake into this plan it is also funny um we we do get we've already gotten a little bit of info about the currency system and we get a little bit more on 386 but you're referencing the the conversation we had last time of like in fantasy movies and books where you just kind of have to rely on the reaction of the other characters to know how good like a hand is or a roll of the dice is here we have like i'll give you two clear marks two clear marks this is worth a sky mark at least yeah egads we get Detective Kaladin with yeah. his uh, his assistant Sill. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, Sill uh, Sill thinks that he's lying, and Cal has also realized this fact and is is going to start pushing on it. Uh, and eventually, kind of the the jig is up. Uh, it turns out that those buying this antiseptic, the ones who who work for the army. Uh, have no idea just how widely accessible those reeds are and, and how productive it can be if you're willing to go out and gather them. And this is being sold to the army for what is a somewhat exorbitant markup, as it turns out. And uh, when when this kind of all starts to fall apart and Kaladin says, I'll, I'll go to the uh the the surgeon's tents and i'll tell them what's going on uh the the shopkeeper is desperate to keep this whole thing from falling apart and so kind of cuts cal in on it uh and offers him a sky mark which is what he says what half of what he charges the military so cal's still getting a uh you know a, a great deal here and uh yeah that's that's quite a uh quite a change yeah we we get our our currency conversion minute now uh, <laughs> where the uh the the sky mark is uh 25 diamond marks so 
hang on i'm not i'm not doing math on air um <laughs> this is why i always have a calculator at my hand whenever i play D D. yeah so this is you know this is more than eight times what his his final offer was going to be and uh kaladin's first reaction is you're you're ripping off the army like you're charging them twice that that's ridiculous and uh i remember we commented on this the the last time that we uh we had these two where the problem came down to capitalism <laughs> and and that's what the apothecary kind of argues his way to of like they're so rich they're gonna pay it like we're the ones stuck here trying to make some money so all right i'll pay you the sky mark i'll charge them too like we'll we'll go with this okay it's basically laundering money <laughs> yeah Caliban is legitimately pissed off for a second and then the apothecary makes the best possible pitch to Kaladin, which is, look, the people who are actually getting screwed are just the rich light eyes. Everyone else is going to be the, the same. And Kaladin's <laughs> like, yeah, all right, yeah. that's fine. All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> Maybe I'm missing something here. Am I supposed to disagree with what the apothecary is doing? Because I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. Like, yeah, military, they need their shit. You... you, you you charge them an agreed upon rate, which is just how things work in everywhere in the world. This is just business. And Sill's like, I don't know if what you did was lying or not. It's nope. It's just, it's just business. Sill. I mean, <laughs> like in our real world, Martin Shkreli is, uh, justifiably an incredibly hated person because he <laughs> upcharges medical supplies but this is a world in which, weirdly, it seems like the insurance is paid for by all the rich people, and they're the ones <laughs> that have to pay for the upcharged medical supplies. So in that scenario, I feel okay with it. But it is, I, Keldon's initial point of, like, these are supplies that literally save people's lives, and you're charging a ton more than you should be for them. That's, that's a little slimy, but he is selling it to the people who can afford to pay that. So... There's there's a gray area, but it's not something that I'm like, I I, I get it, I see it, I'm cool, I'm I'm on the same page as Kaladin of like I don't I don't feel great, but I could get on board <laughs> with that. So yeah, the uh, the end outcome here is actually ends up for Kaladin, I think, quite a bit better than he anticipated. He gets quite a payday here, and uh, maybe maybe that'll uh, that'll get us at least somewhere if things don't uh, immediately get sent backwards by perhaps gaz because <laughs> fuck morale because yeah. it's only bridge four although before we we get back to uh to gaz there is uh kaladin has some thinking to do with this relatively vast wealth he's just been handed uh he has the thought like maybe I just make a run for it because that was never really in the picture before because what's he going to do? You know, he has no resources. He's just going to end up getting captured again because he can't go anywhere. But with, you know, a, a deal like this or, or another one, he can get a bit of, uh, of money in his pocket, make a run for it, set up somewhere far away. And maybe that would be that. Uh, and, 
it turns out that that would be leaving the rest of bridge four behind and, and now he's he's kind of stuck here for them there's a really good subtle thing of Calvin thinking about the fact that they need him so he has to protect them and that circles back to Kaladin's own reflections on how Teft reacts to the word need mm-hmm. um and Kaladin is kind of in the exact opposite position of oh if someone needs me actually no that's exactly the same as what was with Teft of oh if someone needs me then I got to be there for them too um mm-hmm. I, I really like that connection so now we'll see what Gaz is up to uh, which is he has reassigned Bridge 4 again. Uh, they are on Chasm Duty, uh, which is the worst. <laughs> Kaladin does not leg sweep him into a puddle, so what is the fucking point? Oh, yeah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, uh, welcome to the Cosmere. Uh, there's always going to be some weird gunk that makes everything dirty, and there's always going to be some <laughs> spooky underground thing you have to crawl down into uh that sucks and is basically uh, a metaphor for hell <laughs> yeah we uh we see what chasm duty is very shortly it is uh i mean we were talking just last episode about uh what happens to all of the dead bodies after a battle and it turns out this is what happens uh, a lot of them end up in the chasms and as the high storms come through a lot of them get swept through the chasms and they've got a bunch of stuff with them that is still worth something to the army but going down into the chasms is dangerous and unpleasant so you make bridgemen do it bridge four is going to climb down into the chasms they're gonna go root around see what they can find from dead soldiers and and bring it all back up and hopefully they're not going to get stuck down there during an unexpected high storm or run into an unexpected chasm fiend and all die. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed on those. Yeah, sucks down here. Um, <laughs> it's bad. We get a description of some fungi and another little detail I loved was um, the description of them being yellow like the skin of a child with jaundice, which is one, incredibly unsettling, and two, very fitting for the surgeon's son. That's the comparison he makes when he sees a very uncomfortable shade of yellow. Mm-hmm. So the f- the first thing that we have is just kind of the the beginning of the exploration of the chasms, and yeah, it's a it's a kind of a scary place. You know, just physically, it's it's very imposing. You're kind of trapped down here. Uh, it's a whole giant maze network. Kaladin is in charge of making sure that they actually know the way back. And then you're also picking up, uh, you're picking up stuff from dead soldiers, which is both like unpleasant and also just a, an uncomfortable reminder of how you end up down here in the chasms. Yeah. It's just so, so very grim of like, there is so much conflict on these plateaus that the chasms are just full of bodies that then get, randomly washed around by these crazy storms so you just have to kind of wander around until you find a mass grave yeah it's a bad place to be uh, we again have the the kind of building bridge for subgroup of kaladin rock and teft uh, who are actually kind of chatting as as they go teft is uh 
is asking Rock about, you, know, you ever seen what happens if you're in a canyon when it rains? Uh, and, and Rock says, no, we, we don't have these on the peaks. Uh, the, they're only out here where, where the foolish people live. And, and <laughs> Kaladin says, well, you live here. He says, yes, I am foolish. I do not want to be here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're, they're thinking through it. They get a little bit of, of kind of banter in where uh, Rock says that uh, it would at least give Teft a bath. And yeah, the, you know, the three of them are, are a little, they're having a little bit more than the rest of bridge four because of the, the time they've spent together. We get some, some fun, uh, horn eater culture where rock is talking about how, uh, they, how they duel up on the peaks, uh, which he says, uh, involves much mud beer and singing. And, uh, the uh the one who is still singing after after many drinks is the winner uh and also during this process most of the time they forget what they were arguing about <laughs> i i love that detail and i also love that like i felt like i was getting a setup for a punchline of oh do you fight with spears no we're not barbarians like you and i thought the joke was going to be they actually do do something very barbaric it's just that rock doesn't consider barbaric but no, they drink and sing. And that's like yeah. legitimately a much nicer way to settle your differences than fighting to the death. I really love that. During this interaction, Kaladin tries to pull what is a, a pretty blatant move, but I, you know, you need to do what you have to do where he notices that, uh, that Dunny has been walking a little bit closer to them, you know, kind of listening to them having fun chatting. Uh, and so in the middle of this conversation goes, what do you think, Dunny? <laughs> just verbally ambushes him yeah and it, it until the time when they all kind of join in it feels a little like bullying <laughs> yeah i mean like you don't want to like demand interaction and attention from someone but once they work around to it it does end up being you know this is something that that all of the bridge crew probably needs and if they can get more people into this group that actually talk to each other and care about each other it'll it'll be a benefit but yeah it's you know it's not nice to do that to someone when they're not ready for it <laughs> especially rock commanding him to sing that's my favorite part of this scene yeah <laughs> well it's like sing. <laughs> we all love rock but rock says um Hey, Dunny, what does your name mean? And Dunny goes, I don't really know. And Rock goes, ah, oh, you stupid lowlanders don't have any name meanings. <laughs> and then like 20 seconds later is like, okay, now you have to sing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I'm named after a rock my dad found before I was born. What were you named after, idiot? I actually do really love that he, he chose the name Rock for himself because that is actually kind of what his real name means. I thought that was really cute. It's like a summary... A yeah. summarization of his name. <laughs> it's like I I don't have time to explain to you, Lowlanders, all of this detail. I'm just gonna go with Rock. That's Jesus. that's the beginning Spark of it. At least. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Sam's notes has uh, he's jumped ahead to the theory section and said that uh, his dad must be Tien with this very important Rock. <laughs> Gotta be finding rocks. There's only one person we know who finds rocks. <laughs> Check and mate, Brandon. And then Dunny does a slam poem. 
he does yeah we learned that uh, he has some some musical talent he can he can sing a bit uh rock demands that he perform which again is not nice to do to people but because we like rock it's a funny scene <laughs> especially because you know i'm sure at this point given that they have survived their bridge runs nobody in bridge four is like a weakling but it's it's established that rock is a huge guy uh and is just like a, a big kind of boisterous friendly guy at this point so him just pointing at dunny and going sing is, is funny <laughs> and i love the follow-up of dunny yelped but obeyed breaking into a song which really just gives vibes of like i heard once upon a time like <laughs> yeah just sheer panic at the beginning and kaladin is hopeful that this will kind of continue to branch out like the rest of the the bridge crew has seen this group of of uh, rock and teft and cal uh and now now dunny is kind of joining in and so cal is hopeful that it'll go hey you know you can all come and hang out with us and and chat and it's middling success he he notes specifically that like scar is is still just scowling at him moash and sigzel aren't even looking at him so there's still some some animosity there i do love this moment where he just forces himself to laugh and you know we've seen kelsier smiling and we've seen rayodin be like we have to we have to remain hopeful at all times and it seemed to come very naturally to them and i love this new iteration of it of kaladin's barely holding it together he's he doesn't actually feel super optimistic all the time he doesn't actually want to smile and laugh but he realizes that's really the only way to get everyone else to chill. Um, so he's just kind of forcing himself to fake it until he makes it. Right. Yeah. Like, I think with Kelsier, we had we had a degree of that where he was he was noting to himself that even in some particularly dark times, it was kind of this attitude of I can't let my attitude falter that everyone knows me for. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think Kaladin it's, it is kind of another level of like he's not in a good place and he's gonna he's gonna try to portray this and he says you know it, it seems kind of hollow and maybe they're gonna notice that but maybe it'll work a little bit and yet they still begrudge him because he well okay alright he did make them stone gather so I guess there's that. <laughs> I do love towards the beginning of the chapter where <laughs> Kaladin's like, look, I will take the fall for forcing everyone to do stone, do stone gathering. I'm going to tell everyone you force us to be on chasm duty, Gaz. And he's like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think from here on, Kaladin should just like maintenance leg sweep him every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Pre a preventative leg sweep. <laughs> yeah. Just like here, remember, remember where we are in in this whole relationship here. <laughs> I am the sweeper, and you are the sweepy. <laughs> you end do up not, in the puddle. Do not get it twisted. So pretty soon after that, they do come to their their actual task, where they they've found uh, what is the the remnants of a a battle that was fairly recent and involved some of Sadius's forces. They can see the, the uniforms and whatnot. And it's, 
it's a good place to do this terrible job. And so they're going to start picking through and, and seeing what they can find. Yeah. The mood kind of drains away. Yeah. There's a, there's an interesting uh, note when Kaladin is looking at uh, the, the people here uh, because most of the soldiers are, uh, are dark eyed. And, and he says, when when they do fall in battle they're usually they're usually just burned that's all you can kind of afford to do uh but there are there's the occasional light-eyed officer and uh, when it's someone who is is important enough uh they'll they'll actually retrieve their body uh and their their kind of funeral custom is that they are soul cast into stone as a statue uh, which is morbid and weird, but also, like, kind of cool. It's pretty metal, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, so during the uh, the hunt, there is, uh, we get to the most notable find of, of this particular search, uh, which is that Kaladin finds a spear. Uh, it's a weapon, it's very important for them to find, and it was missed on the first time around, but, but Cal picks it up uh, when he's looking back around. And the spear means a lot to Kaladin. He he has a lot of, of memories about this. Uh, and we start all the way back uh, with with Tux, who was training him when he first joined Amaram's army. And so so we're all the way back to kind of his, his very first lessons, uh, which from Tux, that lesson was the first step is that you have to care. You have to you have to have a reason that you are holding this weapon fighting for your life but also for something else and you have to care uh and you you can't lose that and this is you know this is giving cal quite a moment here down in the in the chasms to to stop and think about this again it's also very interesting that we've gotten this speech both ways from Mm-hmm. His who appears to be his army mentor and his father, who is his his doctor mentor, both going the opposite direction of what yep. you think of Cal's father telling him you have to learn when not to care. It's it oof, shivers. You have to learn when not to care when saving lives, and you have to learn to care when you're taking lives. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, also, knowing where the scene is going, I did love just the detail of him picking it up and uh, the water dripping from it, which just feels a lot like uh, summoning a sharp blade. And knowing that we're about to get some cool weapon katas, that was just a really cool like visual connection to that sort of thing. Before we do get anything, uh, anything on on the the positive side from Kaladin, uh, Moash sees this and is is not impressed. Uh, he's also calling Cal Lordling, which sticks out in, in Cal's mind. It's like, what, did he get that from Gaz? Like, is that just going to follow me around? Uh, but uh, yeah, Moash is not impressed. Says, what are you going to do? Just stab yourself with it? That's about all you could do, probably. You know, he says he was in the army, but I bet he's never touched a weapon before. Because, you know, why would why would he be in a bridge crew now? Then we get like a full half page of Peanut Gallery. It feels like everybody was waiting to be like, yeah, fuck this guy, stupid idiot. <laughs> yeah, including Earless Jax, and it's spelled wrong. Is it? Uh, page 397, Earless J-A-C-K-S. Huh. 
So it is, yeah. He definitely didn't have a C huh. in his name last time around. Nope. Damn. <laughs> Nor next time. Brandon. Man, this chapter's all over the place, because if we go back to 395, uh, towards the top, if that laugher felt hollow to him instead of laughter, get it together, Brandon. Come on. Maybe they uh, they they spent too much time putting the bonus full page illustration in this edition. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> All of our editing hours out the window. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this incredibly important and moving scene. Yeah, shit the book. Because yeah, uh, with the 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 peanut gallery in the background, Kaladin starts to tune all that out. I this is the first time in in several years probably that he has had uh he has had a spear and he's going to he's going to take the time to just feel that again he he starts he starts doing uh a a kata just a a practice routine that he's he's known before and it's it's a good thing to move in these ways that he wants to move he gets to just concentrate on the spear and all of these things that he's thought about before with it. You know, he's he's training with Tux. Uh, he's there with his family, with, with Tien or his mother. Uh, he's on the battlefield fighting all of all of these things. And it's written in a very cool way. I would want to see this as well. I'd I'd want to see some 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 really well done choreography on this. It's just very cool. Yeah. The reaction is a little weird. I was gonna say I don't quite <laughs> buy that Moash and Sigzel are both mouth agape, dropping the things they were holding because it's so cool. Like I've seen really badass katas before. I, that was never my reaction to them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do love the scene itself. It's really cool. I saw a dude with a spear a few months ago, just like in a park. I was like, bro. Wait, <laughs> did you see like... one in like a schoolyard at one point? That was the that was the park. Yeah, it was it was like the little little green space attached to the school. There was just a dude with a spear there, and he wasn't like with a group. He was just there with his spear. Did you gasp and drop what you were holding? I did. <laughs> it was uh, my mouth was agape. <laughs> On his side, Kaladin tries not to make a big deal out of it. Like he, he kind of got lost in this, and then he feels kind of bad about it. He, he, he said, you know, he he tries to get everyone to just go back to their work. He's like, you know, that just we we need to get our stuff done. We need to go report back to Gaz. Forget all that. But uh, but yeah, this was this made quite an impact on the the bridge crew there. Uh, Taft, who does seem to have some sort of military experience or something adjacent to that, uh, says I've seen katas before. That was that was another level. So this was apparently quite the the impressive thing to say, to see. Cal is pretty brusque about being like get back to work but is just unable to resist the opportunity to be dramatic and therefore covers so badly for it. Because Teft and Rock are pressing in. They're like, you could like, you could become a Bright Lord with talent like that. And he goes, I don't want to be a Bright Lord. Besides, I tried that once. Where's Dunny? 
Yeah, there's some things being unsaid there. Uh, Also, apparently some of the other uh, Bridgman could see Syl at least a little bit. So something's going on. I kind of assumed that was just Syl purposefully making herself be visible just to add a little spice. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Cal is going to try to to move on from this and uh, keep keep doing their job. What they do have uh, up next is not only have they found the Alethi remnants of a battle, uh, but there's also a lot of Parshendi dead as well. And so they're going to have to stop by there and, and see what they can find. Uh, they have they have very nice weapons. Uh, Rock says that they they have gemstones woven into their beards, so there's there's just money to find. Uh, and Kaladin wants to to get some of the armor too. Uh, and uh, Rock says, "Well, no, 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 there's no armor." And Kaladin says, "Well, I, I've seen them. They we run right at them. They're wearing armor." Uh, but uh, Rock just lets Kaladin figure this out for himself. Because uh, they, they go find a, uh, a a dead Parshendi warrior here. Uh, and the armor is attached, is grown, is some sort of, of carapace shell armor thing. Which is weird. <laughs> weird. Classifiably. Everything is crab. Yeah, they're just uh, a little further along on the, the, the carcinization process. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get there one day, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this will be this will be it for uh, this round of Chasm Duty. They have a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good haul of salvage. They've got to get back out before it gets too dangerous down here. So uh, they're going to head back up, turn everything in, and. Uh, Rock Rock has caught on to what Kaladin is is trying to do. He says, you know, this was this was a good day. You're you're gonna get people on your side. Give it a few weeks, and and I I think they'll they'll come hang out with us. Uh, a few weeks is a, a tall ask for a bridge crew, even bridge four. And uh, Kaladin says he he needs to go faster than that, and he actually has a plan, uh, and it involves Rock. So. As our, our chapter wraps up, we're going to see uh, the, the last bit of the plan. I do have a very dark, depressing thought, which is Kaladin keeps talking about, like, we have to win them over before it's too late. And I'm looking at this going, not everything is the end of Mass Effect 2. Just because they yeah. like you does not mean they're not going to die when they go <laughs> on bridge runs. Like, that, that, that doesn't guarantee <laughs> they're going to be okay. Yeah. That's that's true. Sometimes you lose Tali in your suicide mission, right, Caleb? It's happened to everyone <laughs> equally, and Mass Effect 3 sure doesn't get ruined by having that happen. <laughs> Should have sent her back to the Normandy. No, she died before that, Justin. She <laughs> That was that wasn't an option. She was already dead when I got to that part. Good job. She was, look, she was the vet specialist, obviously. She's obviously well, most well-suited to that. And then I figured Morden has a has a clear head on his shoulders. So I chose him as squad leader. It turns out that's bad. That's dumb. Even though he was in the STG, I guess he doesn't know anything about how to command a squad. 
And then at, le- at the very least, I figured, okay, it would be sad if Morden died, but that's a sacrifice moment to wait. Nope, if you pick the wrong squad leader, the vent specialist dies. Doesn't matter. Tali's dead. She was my romance for Mass Effect 2 as well. It was real bad. It was not fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> this sounds like a different podcast we should have. We should have it at some point. <laughs> but anyways, the book. And we can have it with the with uh, you guys and then the one guy who played part of Mass Effect 1 and that's it. <laughs> as, as we all just talk about how much better it gets, no, seriously, Sam, we promise to stick with it. <laughs> I had fun driving the car. That's Hell the sad yeah. part, is Hell I also no. love the Mako, which is not in Mass Effect 2 and 3. <laughs> so, what's the point? It gets better. <laughs> anyway, the book. Ah, uh, shit. Uh, yeah, we're going to get to see the uh, the last step of, of Kaladin's plan. Uh, and it's a very simple one, which is, let's get these people some good food. Uh, we learned, uh, just kind of offhandedly, that Rock was a cook. And now... Kaladin has a little bit of spare cash. So yeah, they're gonna get some some basic supplies, basic ingredients. Rock is gonna gonna cook up a stew. And it's it's just as simple as that is if you feed them, they're gonna like you a little bit more. And it's it's simple and it's straightforward, but it also works. Just like Mast Sergeant. Gardner, Mess Sergeant Gardner, the chef from Mass Effect 2. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> hey, how'd they buy food? Wasn't Kaladin specifically told he wasn't allowed to get extra rations? My, just like... my guess is that there's huh. like there's like a, a a ration tent where you like go get your daily meal and you can't get extra meals there. But he also, like, he probably went off to a different part of the war camps because these camps are, like, cities at this point and just went to, I guess, a grocery store, basically. Which is, like, weird that a war camp has a grocery store, but that's what the <laughs> Alethi have ended up with. Yeah, it. I, my assumption is that, that it was completely out of his reach when he was still just trying to work with his his four clear marks a week. Uh, now that he's rolling in the money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Rolling in the money with an amount that is, as we've established, completely trivial to the <laughs> the army. But uh, yeah, he, he's got food to offer. He, he tells Taft, have you ever known a soldier that would turn down a bowl of stew at the end of the day? And yeah, the... Uh, the the rest of the uh the rest of the group is again this isn't like a a one-off thing you know he wins a couple people over uh some of them just grab some food and and kind of head out but it's a it's a big step forward uh and when uh when, when we check in the next morning it's almost the entire crew who is willing to actually listen to Kaladin here. And uh, yeah, he, he says he, he's got most of it that will make the, the few holdouts kind of more likely to, to come over to his side as they're now the, the dwindling minority. And now he just has to keep them alive long enough for it to mean something. Yeah. And Gaz doesn't like it. Cause he's an asshole. 
<laughs> Who needs morale, right? <laughs> that is just like this has no negative impact on Gaz. It is literally just Kaladin and Bridge Four are happy, and I'm upset about that. <laughs> I also love. It felt very uh, Mistborny to me. Of Kaladin has like one split second where he goes. God, this is all so contrived and made up and none of it really matters. I don't even know if any of this is worth it. And that's right when Scar walks over and goes, hell yeah, I'll take some stew. And he just <laughs> says, you know, it's it's like, a, you know, Ellen in Hero of Ages, like having the moment of, dude, I fucking give up. And then 10 seconds later, he goes, no, I can't give up. It is, do- something is <laughs> happening. Something's working. We got to keep going. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the next time we see Kaladin, which will be in our next part, uh, it will be, I guess, as part of a a cohesive bridge four. And we'll see where he can actually take that, because there's still not really a clear, a a clear way for them to get out of this. Uh, But they 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 do have a unified group now. So it's it's a start, I guess. Our other chapter of the section, uh, our final one, Decision. I think this might be my favorite chapter of part two. It's I, it's a very good one. Yeah. It also comes out of fucking nowhere, but okay. There's a lot of uh, of kind of, of, of... There's been some back and forth, and we, we do have a conclusion here, and it's it's perhaps not the, uh, the expected one. No. Very interesting. Uh, but we first we are going to conclude the the letter. This is the the actual end of it that we see here. Uh, it says, "For I have never been dedicated to a more important purpose, and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here." I ask again, support me. Do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives. I've never begged you for something before, old friend. I do so now. And so that we we have our letter complete. Now I gotta say. I've written out the entire letter. I've I've read it all at once. The tone fluctuates so wildly in this letter. (laughs) Starts out as like, hey, old friend, I know we have a little bit of a disagreement, but I hope you're doing well. Um, uh, I stand by everything I did. I know you're upset about it. Anyways, you old reptile, you're stupid for not trying to help. (laughs) You idiot. You really need to be paying attention to this. Also, your buddies are after me and they're fucking useless so you better do something else with them you idiot please help please i need all the help i can get please it's the letter of a desperate man then maybe go a bit easier in the middle part but i I don't know i i do not have to write this plea it's the five stages of grief (laughs) now i want to go back and label all of them because yeah there's like there's anger. There, I don't know how much depression there is, but there's definitely anger and denial. There's flat out bargaining, and then there's yeah. I I feel like it checks most of the boxes. <laughs> All right, uh, Delinar has uh, quite a bit to do here, so we will get started. Uh, we're getting started with Adolin, seeing what Delinar is up to. Uh, we have uh, we have a check in with Delinar updating his his bridge techniques, uh, and it's. It's going okay. No real progress yet. They're uh, they're trying to uh, to make a uh, um, kind of a, a faster, more agile bridge. They've got their their one person carried bridge, 
and it looks like it's not quite going to work because it has to carry the powered bridges and it doesn't look like it's strong enough. So there's there's some updating there. And while Dalinar is trying to figure this out, uh, Adolin is, is kind of looking at things in a new light uh, and he sees that Dalinar is, is just really worn out by all of these things that he has to do. Uh, and Adolin thinks that some of this might be his fault of, of putting Dalinar in this place where there's, there's so much weighing on him. We get a really depressing thought of, you know, Adolin has been upset and annoyed and frustrated with Dalinar for pretty much the whole book so far. And then he has the thought of when he was deluded, but confident that was better than how he is now. And that's, that's rough. <sighs> Dalinar raises a question here, just, somewhat out of the blue uh and it's a good question which is why are there no shards for doing work there's there's armor and there's swords and they're very good for going into battle and killing people but shard plate makes you immensely powerful and that would be helpful for for lots of things and so why why are there no shards for workers which you know it's it's an interesting thing to ponder and it I, I think there's some cool kind of real world parallels where like th there are engineers working on like powered exosuits and things like that. And most of the, the first applications are like lifting things in warehouses because that's a really useful thing that you can do uh, as opposed to power armor in fiction that is always going into battle. Uh, but in, in this situation, from Adolin's point of view, this might have been something that Dalinar has been musing about for a while, but Adolin doesn't really see the connection, and this also doesn't really go anywhere. So, just just a thing for him to keep in mind, I guess. Listen, if you start with the, the forklifty exosuits, those could do some damage, too. I've seen aliens. <laughs> You're not wrong. I actually haven't seen aliens. That's a lie. I've just seen God that one it. scene. <laughs> <laughs> Listen... Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes you look at Sigourney Weaver in power armor, calling an alien a bitch in a normal heterosexual way. Fair. But you, but you can also do that in context. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> You're right. <sighs> but uh, Delinar does have uh, a lot to do. Uh, he's, he's bringing Adolin along with there's uh there's troops to inspect there's lots of troops to inspect uh and and so they're they're gonna proceed through the uh through the camp uh Adolin is is thinking about what's going on here's this this remark about the the old down art actually being better maybe uh it's also a, a, a one-off line where Adolin is uh, fondly thinking of Malasha and then literally in the next sentence thinking, well, but I just met Danlin and she's she's hot. <laughs> now, this line is already like, come on, man. It gets way worse when we get to later in the chapter, which takes place on the same day. Mm -hmm. And and we'll find out what how Adolin talks about Danlin then. <laughs> I don't know if it's sweet or fucked up that 
um, like the regular dark-eyed troops are allowed to bring their families to a war camp. It kind of is both, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's you get to spend time with your family, and then one day you don't come home. Yeah. Okay. And there's like a bit of distance if they're in the home front or whatever, and you know you you can like prepare a statement. Whereas instead of that, it's just like oh. Dad's not home for dinner. Yeah, the the we lost the battle today, and how many people in this camp are going to find out about that? Yeah. Also, it, it seems like the camps themselves getting attacked is kind of the last thing on their mind, at least attacked in any real capacity. They've got, like, guards against bandits and whatnot. But if the tide of this war turns and the Parshendi come marching across the Shattered Plains... What happens then? Bad. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we just hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Speaking of the the ongoing future of this war, uh, let's think about economics for a second, shall we? Uh, Supply demand! Yeah, we've just got a good old-fashioned supply and demand here. as, uh, As Dalinar points out, like... We're pulling these gems out of these chasm fiends at a somewhat ridiculous pace. And that's got to do something to the value of gems, right? It is uh, perhaps not the the primary focus should be the state of the economy as we wage war, (laughs) but it is a focus here. Dalinar takes a page out of Kaladin's book of dramatically not answering questions by being like, you will have to consider these things, Adeline. And he goes, me? What does that mean? Dalinar goes, anyway. Onwards! Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does it like six times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we get the actual troop inspection, uh, which Dalinar uh, has Adolin do, just kind of on the spot. Uh, and as Adolin describes this, he says, I just walked down a line. But uh, <laughs> troops were inspected Morale has been raised, etc., etc. We have an ongoing update in the the saga of investigating Elokar's saddle, uh, as we have some extremely unuseful uh, people here, because at least they're on Dalinar's side. He he's checking in with the the people who Sadius has been interviewing. Uh, who are all going, we didn't tell him anything. Don't worry. He didn't get a thing out of us looking <laughs> as suspicious as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Delinar is trying to like actually figure out what questions Sadius has been asking. Uh, but the, the general gist of it is, uh, you know, we all hate Sadius too, and we haven't told him anything. Uh, which uh, Adolin remarks... Uh, they, they probably did not help this operation. <laughs> he asked us, did Dalinar try to murder Elokar? And we said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll never tell, cop. <laughs> what's, the, what's the term in court where, like... Pleading the fifth, I wrote it in my notes. Well, no, not oh, that. Oh, not that? Okay, um, never mind. When, when, a, when a defendant withholds evidence then 
the jury is ordered to interpret it as if the evidence mm. proved exactly the point that the prosecution was making. Right. You, I don't remember the term, but I know what you're talking about, where like you have to assume that it is the worst possible interpretation of it being missing. <laughs> Which is so fun. I just love that that's the justice system. <laughs> yeah, we have another quick check-in with, uh, with Adolin. Uh, and Dalinar. Aidlin is is starting to catch on. This does seem like a bit of an unusual way to go about this on this day. Uh, and uh, Dalinar says, I'm, I'm trying to make a difficult decision, but we'll get to that. On to the next of Dalinar's ongoing plans. This is the attempt to uh, make a set up a, a joint plateau run. Uh, he has gone to Thanadol uh, as as the next high prince that he wants to talk to. Uh, and we get a messenger saying Thanadol cannot meet today. Uh, he could he could meet uh, at the king's feast. And then there's this, uh, there, there's a bit of a kind of like etiquette dance where, where Dalinar is trying to arrange this actual meeting. Uh, but it, it actually does just kind of break down uh, where where the messenger says... Okay, he said that if you didn't leave me alone about this, I just need to tell you, he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> I do love that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was apparently the, the last High Prince to ask, except for Sadius, which does not seem like a great idea. I love that. We, we can really see how how much Dalinar has been dealing with of like six chapters ago he got a vision from god appearing to tell him you can trust Sadius and even now he's like yeah I'm not even gonna try <laughs> uh, but our our two uh, colons are going to separate here Adolin is going to continue walking down lines and inspecting the troops uh, <laughs> as Dalinar uh, has some more thinking to do and wants to wants to keep himself moving while he while he does it uh, and he is going to put into action his musings from earlier about why don't they make shards for workers uh, he has the shards and so is going to go do some work he he has his warhammer uh, retrieved uh, which is literally too big to pick up if you are not <laughs> wearing plate and there's a there's a group of workers here who are digging a latrine. This is the most unpleasant, I mean, aside from like bridge crews, uh, <laughs> kind of the most unpleasant task the army has to do. Uh, and Dalinar has said, this would be so much easier if you could do it with plate. So let's let's give it a go. And he gets down there and just starts bashing the rocks apart. Yes. Dalinar understands the appeal of manual labor. <laughs> I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I've been tempted to just like move out and get a job as a farmer because there is a part of me that's like, man, if I didn't have to think all day and I just had to like <laughs> use a gardening tool and like dig up dirt all day, I think I could do that for a little while and be very, very happy. Uh, my aunts and uncle are farmers currently. Um, and it's very interesting the way that, that a farmer lives. They work, uh, sunrise to sunset all year round. So in the winter, they barely work at all. And in the summer they work their 
arms off <laughs> in the field and everything. Yeah. So. I also want to clarify, I'm not saying that farming requires no thinking. I'm saying the job I would get would be the the jobs that require me to do no thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. you farm boy, go bale the hay. <laughs> yeah. I'd be volunteering for those. <laughs> I remember seeing a, a post uh, remarking on the uh, strange tendency for software developers to quit and start doing woodworking <laughs> uh, because it is you know it, it's kind of a fun engineering project where you get to puzzle together assembly of things and whatnot but you don't have to touch those goddamn computers <laughs> uh, but yeah this is uh this is a, an extended period of time for dalinar to just kind of go over everything that he's been working through for basically this whole section. Uh, you know, he's, he's thinking about these ideals that he's trying to uphold. He's trying to think about uh, the, the state of the war, like w both what they're trying to do and, and the actual reality of what it's, what it's come to. Uh, you know, there's uh, th these, these current musings of like, what, what are shards for? What do we make people do? And uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot to go over. This is one of those sections that I really love, and I really want visual adaptations of Brandon's work. And I have no idea how you would effectively adapt this scene. It's similar to the kata of like, I, I mean, the kata at least you get some some impressive fight choreo, right? But so much of what I love is all of the internal musings, and I have no idea. Cause I just don't know how it would work, but it feels very important, so I want to see it. I had, I actually had a similar thought of like how for this whole chapter, how would I direct it if I was doing it? And part of me, I think this is getting a little experimental for an adaptation of a popular fantasy book. But I had the thought of like, if we somehow just told the audience with text at the start of the chapter, Dalinar is going to retire at the end of the chapter. And then you get to watch his slow coming to terms with that and you know what the end result is. Mm -hmm. I think that would help this scene feel really effective. Um, on text, it works the way it is of we're still not sure exactly what he's going to decide, but we get to see his exact thought process. Um, but I don't know. I think having the dramatic irony of already knowing ahead of time would make it still feel very interesting to just kind of watch him bang away at the latrine, knowing that those are the thoughts that are going through his mind. Cause I just flat out told you, I don't know. There are a couple of, of things that interrupt this, uh, this very intense scene. Uh, one of them is a, a bit of humor that I, I do like, uh, which is Taleb who was in charge of the actual army unit here. Uh, who realizes that everyone should probably stop gawking at the High Prince, uh, and so uh, tells them to to go sit down and quote converse in a light-hearted manner, and <laughs> and Dalinar is thinking on how Taleb is the kind of person who delivers that that order completely seriously. <laughs> so fantastic! I really hope we get more Taleb because that moment on its own, I was like, oh, that's I love this character. <laughs> Oh yeah, I think about that one line a lot. I think I've said it people to said it to people before. If they've been staring at me, I'm just like, 
stop watching me work. Go over there. Converse in a lighthearted manner. The other interruption is one that interrupts Dalinar, actually, as we we get to uh, towards the end of of his his digging. Uh, Navani is here. Uh, and we have seen Delinar is not good at dealing with this fact. Uh, and she is uh, she has some questions for him, uh, starting with, why don't you use your shard blade, the thing that can magically cut through rocks? Uh, which he says, well, it's too good at, at cutting through rocks. And he does have a, a reasonable explanation of, like, when you are making these magically microscopic cuts, the rocks don't actually come out. They're just stuck there. Uh, but because he is is somewhat terse, uh, it is it is kind of funny where where he just says no, too good at cutting, and then goes back to hitting things with a hammer. <laughs> you can really tell just how much Navani being around messes with Dalinar's head because he's just like everyone's staring at him, everyone's gossiping about him. He just keeps working and working. Navani shows up and says like two things, and all of a sudden he like can't focus enough to <laughs> do the very standard straightforward job anymore well he's still banging away he does but... keep he does keep trying to bang but now there's like a full paragraph of text between every bang because he's overthinking everything i i love that <laughs> uh, it also turns out that the reason that she has come here to seek him out uh, is because he totally forgot that they had an appointment to meet today uh, and he also notes he was j- literally just irritated at Thonadol for, for blowing off their meeting. And now he just straight up forgot about this. So, whoops. <laughs> can't remember his wife's name. Can't remember his own appointments. Get it together, man. <laughs> I just love, um, is it, it's not, uh, it is here, isn't it? Like later on the chapter. Um, where he talks about how he uh, uh, courted his wife for three years. Yeah. Yeah, we get that in a couple pages, I think. Can't remember. Yeah, we'll that's get a, there. That's a lot to be uh, to be missing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what's going on with you, man? Good question. Uh, hey, Yasna's calling. We should answer. Ah, shit. It's me from the book from earlier. Yeah, this, this it's is... It's me from part one. I'm relevant. <laughs> This is kind of a, uh, um, it's like a check-in of, yes, that story is still happening, uh, which is, <laughs> is weird to put it at the very end of this part, but I, I do like that we have this this kind of link up here, uh, because it, it's time to go get some info from Yasna, uh, and it's time to get that via span read, which I really like this little bit of technology. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> Yeah. We have a, a pair of magically linked pens. So if you want to send a message to someone, uh, you, you set this up so that both of your pens are set by a sheet of paper. And then one of you writes something and the other pen will also write the thing. And you can send messages. And it's really cool. We also meet the person who's going to be helping write the messages, which is uh, Dan Lynn Morakotha. And we know she's going to be important because she has a last name. She doesn't know um, his name. And uh, <laughs> then we get the the thing of Adeline saying, Malasha didn't work out. Adeline, it was like three hours ago when you considered <laughs> yeah. Malasha your main girl. <laughs> what happened? 
he did note <laughs> that she was she was being a little cold to him in that thought, but that was it. And apparently, in the three hours that it took Dalinar to dig this trench, he's just given up. And then, yeah, we do get that weird thing of Dalinar going, yeah, I courted my wife for three years, and now I feel no emotion towards her and can't remember her. Can't remember her face. Anyway. Got nothing. <laughs> Coming up blank. It's like one per chapter. We just have to be like, hey, remember that one really weird thing about Dalinar? Yeah, we're not going to explain it further anyway. Yeah, we're still going to remind you that it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even kind of more distracting for Dalinar, uh, the thing that he does remember, not his his wife of several years, uh, is that he was really attracted to Navani before that. Bruh, you gotta get it together. These... <laughs> Co- Cohen's really do not have it together. <laughs> Which is, is saying something, given, given that they're the only ones that we like. Yeah, well, like, in terms of the Cohen family, the only, like, I, if I'm less than forgetting one, the only successful normal marriage we know about, maybe, is Elokar and his wife, and they haven't seen each other in, like, seven years. We also don't know um, Gavilar and Navani before he died. Yeah, but we knew that Navani was, like, flirting with both of them, so it was still, like, there were still, we knew there were some kind of yeah. weird vibes. Yeah, but, uh... Yeah, we we do have some some business to attend to, so we'll we'll try not to dwell on that too much. Uh, and it is uh, it's time to get some uh, some communication from Yasta. Uh, I I like that the first thing that they do here is they have a like a a code phrase check in, uh, where Dalinar clarifies, uh, we you can't just say anything. I don't know everyone in the room, so you. Be aware, be wary of that. I, I like that little detail. Yeah, it's really interesting. Navani just flat out calls it out at the end of the chapter, but it was very interesting with all the Shalon chapters hearing about how, you know, she Yasna is this heretic and no one really knows how to feel about her. And in this chapter, we realize, oh, Dalinar trusts and loves Yasna more than almost anyone else, uh, which is a mm. kind of flip from what I was expecting of how everyone feels about Yasna. Mm-hmm. They're uh, birds of a feather. They're kind of black sheeps of the family. A little bit. Yeah. They are kind of trending that way. And it's interesting because, I mean, I guess Dalinar has had this this kind of reputation as, like, th- the only one who holds the codes. And so there is that that has been kind of uh, setting him apart for, for a little bit now. Uh, but I wonder, to your point, Sam, how much of that is... Like, Dalinar seems to be heading even more that way recently. And so I, I get the sense that this uh, getting to talk to Yasna is probably a bit of a relief to him of, I, I can talk to family, I can talk to someone who also the rest of the, the country thinks is, is doing things strangely. And there's a, a bit of a connection there. I also like the note that uh, even though Dalinar can't read what uh, what is being written uh, he does note that Yasna has very elegant handwriting because Yasna does everything that she does as well as she possibly can so of <laughs> course she's going to have good handwriting 
I also love this detail in the first couple lines of her being very vague about something and Dalinar noting she had a penchant for drama. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Yasna, her, her research is progressing, though she's not uh, really willing to, uh, to discuss much of it yet. Uh, and uh, Dalinar is trying to persuade her to return to the camps. He, th- he thinks, you know, this is... This is the place where everything important is happening right now. Uh, it would be good for for you to be here. You could you could advise your brother. He would much appreciate it. Uh, but uh, Yasna says, "I have uh, I have important things to do here." Uh, although in, in between there, we have probably my favorite line of this whole exchange, uh, where Navani has to kind of remind Dalinar. Also, you know, I'd like to say hi to my daughter. Uh, and and so he says, "Oh yes, your your mother is here," and doesn't clarify that she's in the room. And Yasna res- responds, uh, "Send my mother my respect. Keep her at arm's length. She bites." <laughs> it's also particularly funny. Of like, it's not just him. It's not just him and Navani. There's like eight people in this room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, Yasna knows that. Some scribe has to be reading this. Delinar yeah. can't read. Yeah. yeah. I also like the distinction that she is not a historian. She's a ver- verist Italian. She's an Italian. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's Italian. She's a, she's part of an order of scholars who tries to find the truth in the past to create unbiased factual accounts of what happened in the past, which is not a historian. Not at all. I, to be fair, in like the next sentence, Dalinar specifically says, like, I don't really know why that's different from what a historian does, but she says it's different. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Yasna was not just making this call for, for courtesy. I'm calling it a call. It basically is. Um, <laughs> but uh, she actually has some, some questions. The, the research that she is doing... Uh, apparently also touches on some of the early history of the the Alethi contact with the Parshendi. And so she's going to ask Dalinar who was there, which is a pretty good source. So he is uh, he's going over kind of those uh, those times. It is a bit painful for him because he's now going to be thinking about him and Gavilar again. And that's always a, a sore, a sore point to to think back to. Uh, but there's a there's a, a couple of of details he's talking about, uh, you know, first encountering them, discovering that there was this this like established civilization of of Parshman, which is not what they expected. Uh, Yasna's first question uh, is, did they have any shards? And he says no, but they do now. So something happened in between. And then Yasna's final question. Uh, is what were the what was the very first thing once there was actually communication? What was the first thing that they wanted to know from us? Uh, and Caleb, uh, yeah, I, I might as well defer. <laughs> Look, the Parshendi can't be that evil because all they want to <laughs> see is the maps. <laughs> yeah, very very focused on the maps. Not mentioning the Voidbringers at all. So, uh, 
Dalinar doesn't uh, doesn't know what the connection is, and Yasna says, "I'm not going to explain it right now." Uh, but I, there is one other thing I want to check, uh, and what we see is the illustration from a couple of chapters ago, from from our last episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have a a drawing uh, done via span read, which is apparently a a bit of a. Uh, uh, it, it's not a perfect process. It's hard to have something as delicate as an ink drawing work remotely, but it, it works well enough. And and Dalinar does note that of all the things that Yasna is uh, excellent at through her own work, manual artistic skill is not one of them. And so, as gets mentioned shortly on, uh, this is Yasna's new ward. This is Shalon, who we have seen uh, her artistic talent uh, is is going to do this drawing. And the drawing, as we saw with the, the label earlier, uh, is a chasm fiend. Adolin and Dalinar pick this up right away. And uh, Yasna says in the, in the book that she's copying it from, it's labeled as a Voidbringer. And Yasna's conclusion is uh, whoever was doing this illustration just needed to draw a big scary monster and the first thing that they thought of was a chasm fiend. And they probably hadn't even seen one. They had just heard descriptions of them. So th this is the, the connection that Yasna has, uh, has thinks that she's made here. I think it's interesting, by the way, and we kind of skimmed past this, and it's fine that we did. Um, and I, it's an interesting thing about Spren, because last time Shalon drew something creation spren were all up ons and now we've got well i mean i guess there's like the they talk about like bren says like there's translation errors you know with the um the ink not exactly mm -hmm. going on right but there's no creation spren when uh when adlin's new squeeze is drawing i'm i wonder i mean there might be some on shallan's side as she's actually moving the pen yeah i'm but... curious if if it can't be the spren don't appreciate pictures over text <laughs> or is it just like like what is actually what is actually drawing them is it the is it the actual like artistic work being produced in which case sam yeah like shouldn't this this drawing which dalinar says is a is an incredible drawing even over span read shouldn't that shouldn't we see some or is it something about, like, a person doing the act of creation? Which, like, opens several questions on how that works. I'm I'm in camp two. I think it's like, it's a spirit kind of thing. Okay. So Danlin's spirit's not in it because she's just drawing, you know, what the Spaniard is drawing for her. Or am I misunderstanding? I don't think, she, I think her hand is off the pen. Okay. And it it magically draws whatever Shalon is drawing. Alright. Which is a little it's a little Harry Potter, but it's okay. Uh I'm in the camp, and this might be a really controversial, surprising thing to hear me say, but I'm in the camp that uh this scene makes me feel like the rules around Spren are vague and unclear, and it's frustrating <laughs> that I can't understand how they work. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> 
with with these questions having been answered, Yasna is ready to wrap up and go back to her work. Uh, she says, I need to go uh, take care of my brother. And Dalinar makes makes one more plea. Uh, it says, there's a lot going on here. Uh, you may get some some big news pretty soon, too. It would really help if you were here. And uh, Yasna says, I am working on very important things. I would like to return. I probably will when this is done, but I cannot tell you when. I'm sorry. And uh, and that is that is the end with uh, with one more uh, discussion on when she does show up. Yasna would like to, to see a chasm fiend and Dalinar says a dead one. We're not going to do what happened to your brother. Yeah, it's worth noting. I know everyone here is very high ranking. They shit talk the king a little bit in this letter. <laughs> Dalinar's just flat out like, yeah, your brother almost fucking killed himself trying to kill this great shell. <laughs> Idiot. I think of anyone, I'll, I'll give Yasna a pass on that one uh, for... I I don't remember if this is said. I believe she's the older of the two. Mm, I um, think she is, yeah. So even being the king, Elokar is also her younger brother. So th- there's there's some... They're always going to be siblings to some extent, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that conversation is done. Uh, and Dalinar has a, a realization about uh, some of the things that he just said to to Yasna, uh, which is he he had a really good time to think when he was digging the trench, and seemed to to be like strongly leaning towards the possibility of of abdicating, of like thinking over all the consequences that that would be. And then it just kind of flipped over in his mind to, as he puts it, a when and not an if of Dalinar Colin is, is going to abdicate. Uh, he's going to to pass the the, the princedom to Adolin, and that will be that. Navani says it right. This is a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah, Lord. it's... Uh, and, and we're going to have to see... Um, because this is, this is the end of the part and this is kind of, the moment has come and passed and now Dalinar realizes that he doesn't have to kind of bear the weight that we saw at the beginning of this chapter that he was bearing and just sits down finally. And, and he says he'll announce it. He'll, he'll pass things to Adolin. He'll go back to, to Alethkar. And that will be that. And I don't want to to look too far ahead as we are wrapping up our section here, but we we have mentioned because we're going to be beginning part three in our next episode. Uh, the the part three title page says Kaladin Shalon. So, what's going to happen with Dalinar, and when are we going to see that next? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened to unite them? Well, I guess yeah. he kind of did. He united them against him. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. It's not nothing. Yeah, but yeah, we've uh, we've hit the end of our part. It says there very dramatically in centered text the end of part two. It's so uh, Jober. And uh, yeah, we were like almost halfway through this book, 
and bridge four coming together. We, we, we see some upsides there. We still do need to keep them alive and see what they're actually going to do, but there's, there's good things there. And Dalinar has just made a decision that, uh, maybe, maybe a bad one. And that's that. This chapter is very fun on the reread because you can start to track when his thoughts start to turn around before he's even consciously realized of like, there's a moment before they take the phone call where he's looking at Adeline. He's like, you are going to be good at this. And, and there's just that subtle sense of inevitability of, oh, you, you already decided, even though you don't know it. It's very sad. Uh, well, with the part ending here, uh, we do have to do the things we do every episode of uh, adding to the cast list and then uh, figuring out what interesting things are going to happen next. And I think it's a good thing that our our casting section is uh, very short this chapter, unless we want to go back and fill some gaps or name some more characters who I, I didn't put on the list. Uh, but it's it's just going to be a couple, I think. And then we can we can get into the meat of... Was this a terrible decision that Dalinar made? I think that's question 1A. Uh, mm. So, Sam, if you want to start us off on our cast list and we'll we'll knock those out. Sure. So for, for your episode 9 cast list, you gave Danlon and Niter. And I cast Havrum. Okay. Hey, I also got a Havrum. Hey. As in just go. Havrum or? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, uh, I was not... I was I was busy today, okay? I don't know. Um, but Havram, uh, you know, this might be one where I'll, I'll yank him out if we never see him again, because this is kind of a nice actor, and I like him um, in terms of his acting ability. But I went with Charlie Hunnam, that guy from Rebel Moon. Okay. Is he also in Charlie Pacific Hunnam's Man? been in a lot of things, and you went with Rebel Moon, Sam? I went with his most recent role. <laughs> okay, all right. It's his most recent big ticket role. It's Rebel Moon. All right. That's uh, it. Yeah, and, and as mentioned, the only ones I had on the list were, were Danlin and Niter. Niter? I don't know. And then, so Caleb, is, is it just those two and Havram from you? Oh, Justin, we oh, all wish no. it were so. <laughs> um, I want to start by saying Drehi did have a line of dialogue. He did something this this chapter. He still got no physical description, so I do not have a Drehi. Yep. Um, <laughs> I checked. <laughs> um, uh, there is an ardent named Ladent who is briefly described and has some dialogue. Uh, is I, I have Stephen Anthony Lawrence, known for his role in Even Stevens. Um, as Ladent. Um, I have uh, Habram is described as being like a tower, built like a tower. So I have Kenzo Suzuki, who had a run in the WWE. Always good to get some more wrestlers in there. Um, and then I wouldn't have written it down if he didn't have a physical description and probably one line of dialogue. Although going through the chapter today, as Justin was reading through it, I couldn't find him again. There is a character no. named Tadet. Uh, can't tell you what he did or who he is, but he was there, I promise. I wouldn't have written it down otherwise. So that's my Fred Armisen. We're, uh, that's where I'm putting Fred Armisen for this book. <laughs> As Niter, I have Antonio Akil, um, who was in the first season of Slow Horses, a very underrated Apple TV show. 
Um, and then as Dan Lin, I have Erin Kellyman, uh, known for her roles in Rogue One and the Falcon the Winter Soldier TV show. And probably some other things, but that's how I know her. Uh, just for your sake, Tadet is an ardent who was... Uh, uh, Delinar asked him to interview the people who Sadius had been questioning to try to figure out what they had said. Yeah. That's it. Obviously. <laughs> uh, Tadet does not actually have any dialogue. He is... Oh, no. He, he's, he says, yes, Bright Lord. There we go. He says, yes, Bright Lord. Yeah. We got to get Fred in for that. And, and he is described as short, so... Yes. <laughs> Why that couldn't be Ladent, who is also a short ardent, I don't know. Brandon decided to put two in there. All right. Uh, yeah, we've we finished a part, which is a, a place where we can kind of try and, and stop and regroup even more so than we, we normally do figuring out what happens next. We have we have the big question of uh, what are the consequences going to be of Dalinar's decision? Uh, and then also looking forward, how, how are things going to play out? And we've got we've got more Kaladin coming up. And we're finally going to be checking back in with, with Shallan. Well. <laughs> I mean, we are. And I know that's been, a, it's been an open question for a bit. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like the, the prediction might be, hey, we're going to get to figure out what's happening with Shallan, which I've wanted for several chapters now. <laughs> I just spent the last, like, I spent Caleb's entire casting section trying to look up that goddamn... Uh, I, interpreting evidence in court thing <laughs> it's got a term and i can't remember it and it's like negative evidence nope negative evidence is a different thing so hey you know what when we get to the email thing that'll be yep. the prompt exactly if you know what that is <laughs> fucking email us please we have a request for very specific <laughs> legal terminology please help please uh so my predictions uh starts with well there you go uh <laughs> Dalinar and Kaladin won't meet because Dalinar's fucking off. Adeline <laughs> remains and is an unexciting, lecherous douche. Uh, <laughs> lovable, arguably. Uh, Kaladin gets his nice, wonderful bridge crew. Uh, no one willing to do anything about it. We'll see this and go, yes, let's make this happen with my bridge crews too, because Dalinar could have said that, but he's gone. And Adolin doesn't really appear to care about the little folks the same way his dad does. Can Dalinar still make an impact even if he's not in the Shattered Plains? No. What? No. <laughs> the Shattered Plains are the de facto seat of a Lethkar. Everyone with any shred of power or influence is here. So what's he going to do? Unite the people of a Lethkar who don't live in the Shattered Plains? That'd be great. But nothing Sam wants to happen will ever happen. So fine. This is fun. <laughs> what's next? I don't know. Apparently nothing fun. I'm happy. Ugh. And to be very clear, this is interesting as hell, and I'm really enjoying it. But the more times I get I get bucked off this prediction horrors, it's like it kills me. But you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> no, are you okay, Sam? Do you need to talk about it? I'm okay. It's fine. Okay. I, you know, it's we're, we're not playing for points anymore, so I, it doesn't matter. It's all exhibition games anyway, so whatever. <laughs> we're good. It's true. You only get podcast points if you email in. Yes, that's right. <laughs> podcast points are for listeners. 
Speaking of <laughs> exhibition games, uh, I did just get, this is a throwback to like 20 episodes ago, but I did just get a notification that the, um, uh, what do you call it? The Enhanced Olympics are happening. They just announced the oh, dates for yeah. it. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. Uh, I do have some more stuff. Okay. Quick stuff. The one concrete prediction I have is Calden's actions are going to result in serious bad things for him later on. Uh, we'll see what that means. Uh, his insistence on protecting his men, which we've seen multiple times and has already caused minor consequences for people in his orbit, are going to arouse the ire of Sadius in a direct way toward just him. Um, I'm thinking he's going to order his men to do something to protect themselves on a bridge run, and he'll get punished for it. Uh, because Calden isn't allowed to have nice things. One of the things that we keep seeing that we've never seen but have heard of is people getting strung up in high storms. And Calden is like... He's poking the bear <laughs> with a cattle prod. So I feel like eventually we're going to see that. And the person who's strung up is Kaladin. He'll find some way to survive and be storm blessed. And who had something? We'll see. We'll see from there. I don't know where you go from there. But that, I think, is what will happen with him. Um, apart from that, something's up with the Parshendi. What could it be? Don't ask Brandon last section because he didn't talk about none of this shit before chapter 27. But all right. Something. Something indeed. It's weird how we go in these like chunks because it's like last section. What was it like? Last section he didn't talk about like something specific, and then he only talked about it starting on chapter twenty three. I don't remember what it was, but it's it's weird, Brandon. It's like you're listening to the episodes and writing while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. Because he has not been listening to me talk about Spren. <laughs> he is listening. He's just writing it as a big fuck you. <laughs> he, he is specifically spiting Caleb by not elaborating on Spren. And he is specifically spiting Sam by making the Alethi nobility such shit heels. <laughs> such shit heels. Taking away the one possible saving grace in the form of Dalinar. He's going back home. <laughs> be a farmer. Hey, Renarin's still here. Hell yeah. Renarin is still here. That is a true statement often. It doesn't go <laughs> much is, beyond that. That is just <laughs> like oh, chapter 31. Renarin is still here. Chapter 32. <laughs> chapter 32. <laughs> uh, and also, Shallan's stealing that fucking Soulcaster. The end. You think that's actually going to happen then? I think it's actually going to happen. Okay. Fucking forgot that was her motivation. That's how long it's been since we've checked in on Shalon. <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, Shalon's hair was down to her knees now, is the first line of the next chapter. <laughs> she hadn't got it cut since we last read her words. <laughs> Six months ago, or whatever it is. Damn, her hair grows fast. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's, like, a huge time skip between part two and part three, which would be wild. Okay. Uh, yeah, I in uh, in a move that you have pulled before, you have stuck a, a single uh, fairly, like, dramatic, bold prediction right at the end. And I will note that down and we'll, we'll get back to it. Uh, 
we'll, we'll actually get to see if that happens or not because we are going to be returning to Shallan's story. Over in the next column on my spreadsheet uh, is Caleb. Not literally, it is the things that I've written down that Caleb has said. Uh, <laughs> you're that way vaguely. I'm pointing. Nobody can see, including nobody else on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, why don't... Why don't you do stop I... me from babbling during this sideway <laughs> and uh, see what what you've got for this this section? Do, do I do I talk now? Is that is that the problem? <laughs> okay, all right. Um, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is actually do a little piggybacking because I didn't. Sam had an idea, and I think it's a good, cool one. And I'm gonna. I, I think I might build off of it. I like that idea. I hadn't thought about this, but I like that idea that Kaladin might get strung up because you're right. We have. They keep mentioning that, but we've never actually seen it happen. Um, and if we tie that back to the theory that Kaladin has some sort of magical ability and is drawing on the stormlight, that might be like a really, really cool scene of, um, it seems like he's about to fucking die because he's being left out in the high storm, but it turns out that's actually where he gets, like, he unlocks his true potential and reaches a hundred percent of his power because he's just surrounded by stormlight and being infused with it all out. And that's when he like makes the full discovery of, oh shit, I have super magic. Um, that would be a really cool scene. So I'm kind of hoping you're right there. Um, uh, I'm going to do a lot of revisiting old theories and throwing out a couple of new ones in there. Um, I think it would be, a, I, I think I'm going to hold to my request last time of Justin and Beth, no need to confirm this until um, end of book, if at all. Um, but in terms of these epigraphs, like, yeah, I still think it's probably Hoyd, but I don't feel super comfortable locking that guess in because these last couple epigraphs have been very much like he is on a mission to save the universe. And that's never been Hoyd's vibe for me. He seemed very, like, not evil, but very self-interested and kind of doing his own thing. And from what we've seen, you know, even if I'm wrong about King's Wit, the previous times we've seen Hoyd, he's usually just kind of fucking around. So I don't know what the if if it's him writing the letter i don't understand why every time we actually see him there seems to be no urgency at all so there's a little bit of dots that don't seem to connect there but that is still my guess i'm hopeful that i think it would be really really cool if if the part four epigraphs are a, a return letter um and we might get a little more info there um but yeah i i, I still think it's hoid but I'm also noting it would still be kind of weird if it's Hoyd. Um, uh, in terms of Dalinar, yeah, it's probably a bad idea. Probably bad. Um, I'm curious if he's going to bequeath his shards to Renarin before he heads out. I don't know if he's allowed to do that. Or if or if Renarin has to technically win it in a duel or whatever. But um, I think it would be really cool and cute and fun if the first time we check back in with Adeline... He is, like, helping Renarin practice using shard plate. I think that'd be a really fun scene. Uh, so, we'll see. Um, maybe Navani wiped Delinar's mind or something? I don't know. What the fuck's going on with that? And why is everyone so chill about it? I don't... I, 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 it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't... I just... I don't know. Um... So that's a that's a that's a theory I'm not putting a ton of chips on, but clearly Navani is all up in Dalinar's head. So if she can do any kind of magic, then it would make sense if if that was what she chose to do with it. That seems to check out. Um, I am going to we do end this chapter with Dalinar saying it's so Jover, 
And I do think he's going to leave the Shattered Plains and it back to Alucard. But I also think he is going to get another vision that's telling him we're so back. Um, and it's going to cause a lot of chaos and um, either make him regret his decision or make him go, not go crazy, but like go all in into something that perhaps Alan was holding him back from. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that manifests because I do think he is going back to a left car. I don't think he's going to stay in the Shattered Plains by the time we get back to part four. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but those visions are still going to be still going to be haunting him. I don't think those are just going to go away because he's made a retirement decision. Um, revisiting some of my Parshendi takes. Uh, it's interesting that they carry uh, gemstones on their person, um, which if they can use some sort of magic, uh, presumably in the same way of my theory of what Kaladin's doing with his money accidentally, um, they might be able to use those gemstones as a power source for their magic, which would be really cool. And, Justin, you kind of slipped past it, but we get a good look at a Parshendi weapon, which appears to have perhaps an engraving of a herald on it. And it's very interesting that the Parshendi would worship or revere or respect the heralds unless maybe they're the secret knight's radiance somehow and that would explain why they're so obsessed with a the heralds um b uh wanting to check in with hey you guys say you're from alethkar is that maybe this country that maybe we have a connection to why don't we look at those maps to see if you're talking about the same thing we're talking about um and i also think you know, I'm go I'm I'm putting a lot of chips on this theory now, and if I'm right about it, I think that's also what Yasna is investigating. She might be the one to actually piece it together. And that's why she's like, Hey, those Parshendi, did they talk about the Voidbringers? Those things that the Knights Radiant fought a lot? Um I think she might be starting to piece that together. Um and I had a fourth thing, but I forgot it. But it'd be cool if 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 I if, if that's a thing. I'm gonna keep keep I'm going to keep keeping my eye out to see if that's a feasible uh, reality. Because something's going on with these Parshendi. Still don't know what. I have a theory. Could be way off. I don't know. But some, there's something weird about these little, these little guys. Um, and then my last one. I don't have a lot of thoughts about um, Shalon. I guess for the sake of competition and, and, and keeping it interesting. I'm going to say Shalon does not steal the Soulcaster. Or actually, no. I'm reversing to an old theory of... She steals it, but then can't use it. So Yasna goes, hey, I know you fucking stole it, but also you have talent, so I'm going to forgive that, and I'm actually going to help teach you how to soul cast. Um, I, I think that might still happen. Um, I do have another theory that I'm going to put all my chips on, which is that in the interludes, uh, we are going to be checking with Zeth, and my theory is that Zeth is going to still be having a bad time. <laughs> a brave, bold tick. Big, big news here. Uh, I did, <laughs> I did like as you were you were stepping through uh, your theories, including the the fourth one that you had forgotten. Uh, it sounded like you, you were talking about how you were going to stick with the your working Parshendi theory, but for a second it sounded like you were saying you were going to stick with the fourth theory that you had forgotten. So <laughs> I'm going to be keeping my a, eye on that. A solid Rick Perry <laughs> moment. So if here's the very important things on my platform, I've forgotten one of them completely. Oops. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I, it was a fourth point to the overall Parshendi theory mm -hmm. I've been working with. All right. Uh, well... We shall have to see. Uh, we are wrapping up a part. 
and that means that we have interludes next uh, and we can see right on the the page as we're going into those uh, we are going to be checking with risen and with axes and with zeth who is probably having a bad time <laughs> yeah, who are you oh yeah i meant to i meant to just add mini theories about like who the fuck are you people um <laughs> I'm guessing one of them is going to be another check-in with Team Galadon, and the other one is just going to be, hey, something fucked up is happening on Roshar that none of the other characters know about, but this person does. Uh-oh. Whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, we, we'll get to see those right away, uh, because as we're going into our next episode, uh, this will be another kind of cross-part one as, as we're starting. Uh, these, uh, these interludes are on, fairly on the short side. So we're going to do those three interludes, uh, and then we're actually going to start our first two chapters. That's twenty nine and thirty uh, of part three. So we'll we'll get to get into that, uh, and once once we get to that uh, that part three title page, it is part three dying with Kaladin and Shalon as our two focus characters. Nice uplifting part title. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So uh, with all that being done. We are going to keep doing this this podcast thing and keep recording these episodes and putting them up on our website for you to listen to. Uh, that is alwaysanotherpodcast.com where you can find our, our whole back catalog through the whole Mistborn trilogy into uh, Elantris and now The Way of Kings. Uh, you can also find us on, uh, you can find us by email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, remember, listener podcast points are available. Uh, you can also find no points, but some some creative and interesting things uh, on our social media. Uh, that is Twitter at always another pod, Instagram at always another pod, and Mastodon at always another pod at kind.social. You'll find all sorts of things there. <laughs> but yes, nothing worthy of points. <laughs> <laughs> We're not giving out any points, certainly. <laughs> That's true. But uh, yeah, until then, we, uh, we're we going to go get started with another part. And as usual, I'm looking forward to it. So no, no big shocker there. Hell yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, look, dear listener, this was a short episode. Then I remembered our recording software crapped out halfway through the episode and uh, the number I'm looking at is very inaccurate this was a very standard length episode Brandon <laughs> 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 <laughs>